Well, good morning. As we have the opportunity to continue our series in the book of Judges, uh, we're going to be in chapters 4 and 5 today. Uh, and as we look at uh, Judges, we see a cycle. Uh, the Israelites do evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then there's a time of punishment, giving them over to a pagan king. They cry out to the Lord because of the oppression, and God sends a judge to help. There's peace as long as that judge is alive. Then the, the cycle repeats. You can almost say this is the first soap opera as the Israelite turns, <laughs> right? You can miss a few episodes and not miss a beat because it just goes on and on, right? We're not much different, are we? Where so often we kind of do the same things as they did. This morning, we're going to be looking at godly wisdom versus worldly wisdom. And whom or what are we following? If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be looking at Judges chapter 4. If, if you're able to stand as we read uh, from God's word from uh, Judges chapter 4, would you stand? Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now that Ehud was dead, the, so the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harosheth, Hagoim. Because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years, they cried to the Lord for help. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at the time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Abinoam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go. Take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sesera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give them into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you are taking... The honor will not be yours, for the Lord will deliver Sesra into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. There Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites and descendants of Hoab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree in Zanium, near Kadesh. When they told Sesera that Barak, son of Abinahim, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sesera summoned from Heroesh Hagium to the Kishon River, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sesera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? 
So Barak went down to Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sesra and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sesra got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hagalim, and all of Sesra's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sesra, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, uh, the wife of Heber the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber the Kenite. Jael went out to meet Sesra and said to him, Come, my lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. She, so he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there? Say no, but Jael, Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the tent peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. Just then, Barak came, in, came by pursuit of Sesra, and Jael went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went in with her, and there lay Sisera with a tent peg through his temple, dead. And on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan, before the Israelites. And the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they destroyed him. You may be seated. As we look today, as I've already said, there's two types of wisdom. Worldly wisdom and manly wisdom, or godly, or worldly wisdom and God, uh, godly wisdom. I will get it right. It just takes me a little bit. But as we look at this, today we start with worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom puts their trust in man, that man will get them through. If you look at verse 2, with the Israelites, they had been following the Lord, but did you notice? Now that Ehud was dead, they go back to that cycle. Because they were looking to a man, not God. How often did they take their eyes off their true king? And I wonder, even in our world today, do we want someone that's going to lead us, that's going to take us, we need a man or a woman, a great leader. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sick of politics. We'll make America great. No, we'll make America great again. We need to rely on Yahweh, our true king. Because no man is good enough. No person is good enough. And yet so often we will trust in man to handle all our issues instead of going to God and allowing him to be our source, our shield, our strength. So often the world puts their trust in what they have. Think of Caesarea, this, this army leader, 900 iron chariots thought, wow, we've got things all taken care of. Nobody's going to be able to defeat us. And so often we can, we can look and say, look how good we are. We've got it figured out. 
Yet God in his wisdom already knows how he's going to take Caesarea out. The world relies on things that they can see, but we rely in the God whom we can't see, but yet is so real. And even Barak had his moments of, you know, I, he loved the Lord, but yet he was asked, okay, Deborah has him come, the prophet Deborah comes or has him come to him and it says, here is a command from the Lord. The Lord, the God of Israel commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sesera, the commander of Jabin's army with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him your, into your hands. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. Barak is given this message. You will win. I don't know about you if you're a, a certain type of fan. When you hear that your team is going to win, you want to be there. And he's told, this is going to happen. It's in the bank. All you have to do is go. But you know, at that moment, the Lord wasn't enough. He wanted Deborah, the prophet. I'll go if you go with me. Then, it, then it'll be okay. But he put conditions on his willingness to go. Do we ever put conditions on God? I'll do this if. And God's saying, I want to use you, but know that I'm good enough. I'm all that you need. And are we willing to trust him when he calls us to action? Are we willing to do what sounds so insane, so crazy? When he says go, do we say not yet? Or do we say, where do you want me to go, Lord? I came across a story this past week that was pretty amazing. You want to be careful what you, what you tell God you're willing to do. Uh, there was this young man, he went... Uh, to Bible study on a Wednesday night, and the pastor was talking about obeying and listening to God. And he thought that was pretty interesting. And after that time, they went to a, he, him and some friends went to a, a coffee shop to get coffee and pie, uh, the important things. Uh, and as they discussed what the pastor had to say of how does God still work today? And some of them gave different answers on what was taking place. And the young man thought, I wonder if God will still speak to me. And so as he left, it was about 10 o'clock that night, and he got in his car and he said, Lord, if you want to speak to me, I will listen, and I, I love this phrase, and I'll do my best to, to actually follow what you asked me to do. And so he gets in the car, he's now heading home, and he has this feeling that he needs to stop and get a gallon of milk. He goes, where'd that come from? That doesn't make sense. And so he keeps going past that first convenience store and he feels it again. Stop and get a gallon of milk. 
And so he goes, okay, maybe this is like Samuel uh, when he hears God and he goes to Eli because he's not recognizing this. And so he goes, okay, I can use a gallon of milk. So it's, maybe it's just a test. Am I willing to listen? So he goes in, he grabs the gallon of milk, gets back in his car. He starts driving again. He gets to 7th Street and he feels like he needs to turn on 7th Street. Well, he just keeps going. That's just crazy talk. That's not where I live. And so he gets to the next intersection, and the Lord is prompting him again. You need to turn back and go back to 7th Street. And he goes, okay, God, I'll do it, but this isn't making any sense. And so he turns, goes back on 7th Street. He's going a few blocks down. It's now late. There's hardly any businesses open. The houses are dark. And the Lord prompts him to stop at this one house. The house is dark. There's no lights. He said, I don't even know if they're home. He said, take the milk, go up to that front door. And you need to hand them the milk. And he starts to open his door and he shuts it again. He goes, this is insane. They're going to think I'm nuts. If I do this, if I go up and hand them the milk, one, they're going to be mad. I woke them. And two, this is just ridiculous. No, I can't do this. And the Lord said, would you listen? You said you would listen. Finally, he goes, okay, I'll ring the doorbell, but if no one answers in, a, in that first second, I'm out of here. So he goes up to the door, he rings the doorbell, and he hears some noise, and all of a sudden he hears this greeting. Who is it? What do you want? I want to get out of here is what I want, is pretty much what he's thinking. And so before he has a chance to run away, the guy opens the door. He looks not too pleased to see a stranger at his door. He's in a T-shirt, jeans, and he's looking at him like he just got out of bed. And the, the young man, I'm sure this is probably his voice. He's very strong. He says, sir, I got some milk for you. And as he gives him the milk, the man grabs the milk, goes running down the hallway. All of a sudden, he sees the wife come with the milk, and he's carrying the little baby. They go to the kitchen, and they pour the milk in. The wife is in tears. She said, you know, I've been praying because we've had some major bills this last month. We couldn't even buy a gallon of milk for our kid, and he's been screaming. And we just prayed and asked God if, if he would just give us a some, a gallon of milk. And he goes, are you our angel? And the young man looked and said, uh, here, here's some more money. <laughs> Do what you can. And he walked away, tears in his eyes, and he said, you know, God still talks to us. He still answers prayer. It seemed like an insane story that why in the world would he, at 10 o'clock at night, going to somebody's house with a gallon of milk? And yet, it was what that family was praying for. You never know how you might be that answer to prayer, how crazy it may even seem. But God still speaks. He still works. Worldly wisdom says we have to do it on our own. Godly wisdom says, you trust in me. The Israelites 
tried to do things their own way. They desired to have a king. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, verses 16 through 20, we take, he will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and, your, and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen. But the Lord will not answer in that day, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, to go out before us and to fight our battles. See, worldly wisdom trusts in what is popular at the time. Everyone else had a king. That means I need a king. How often do we just do what everyone else is doing, even though that may not be what God wants? But that's the way the world works. Reuben and his tribe, they thought neutrality was the wisest course. Being very rich in cattle, they were reluctant to run the hazard of so great a loss by taking up arms against so potent an enemy as Jabin. And the bleeding of their sheep were so loud in their ears that they could not hear the call of Deborah and Barak. They put their trust in material things, what they could accomplish, what they could handle. And they missed out on a blessing. How often do we miss out on what God wants to do because we're not paying attention? Believe me, I understand what it's like to, somebody's talking and it's almost like nobody's home. I had to ask again because I didn't hear what they said. Are we paying attention to what the Lord is speaking so that we can hear what he wants to do in us? Maybe there's a story of a gallon of milk in your future. I don't know what it looks like. That we're willing to do what he asks us to do. And then we come to godly wisdom. In Judges chapters 4 and 5. See, godly wisdom doesn't make sense. It directs us even when we can't understand why in the world he would ask us to do it. As we already talked about, Barak was commanded to go into battle. And he told God, is told that God will hand over the enemy to him, even though the enemy is strong. Nothing is too difficult for God to handle. We see in chapter 5 that it said that there were no weapons for the, the, the Israelites. They did not have what they needed, but they did have what they needed because God was on their side. And so Barak is asked to go into this battle against 900 chariots. It seems unbelievable. How is this going to happen? And yet, God's wisdom said, listen to what I ask you to do. For nothing is too difficult for God. When you think of Abram, who became Abraham, and what God does in his life is amazing to me. In Genesis in chapter 12 and verses 1 through and following, the Lord said 
to Abraham, Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Think about that. Wives, can you imagine your husband's coming home and saying, oh, honey, we're going to be moving. That might in itself be a shock. Well, where are we going? I don't know. But God's called us to, to go. Would you be setting him up for an appointment at the psychiatrist? Wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. And we're not talking 35 years old, we're talking 75 years old. Oh, and we need to go. In, our, in worldly wisdom, that does not even compute. But we're not talking about worldly wisdom, are we? We're talking what God wants to do. And I'm excited about what he wants to do in us and through us if we're willing to hear his voice. If we're willing to allow him to speak to us and we listen. For God, through his wisdom, still uses those who hesitate. Aren't you glad about that? Because maybe today you know that God has put on your heart to do something you haven't done, and yet you haven't done it, and maybe you almost even feel that, well, I've messed up. Why would he want to use me? And yet the truth is God still uses us who hesitate. It's not too late. It's not too late to get on his bandwagon, to follow his wisdom. Because when you look at how he used Barak, even after he said, I'll only go if Deborah goes with me, he still then listens. Even though he doesn't necessarily get the glory, it wasn't about him anyway. It was about God getting the glory. And God uses Barak to do some amazing things. The battle takes place and God wins. So where are you at today when it comes to that hesitation? Has God asked you to step out in faith and it, you just can't make sense of it? I think of probably one of my favorite stories, and you, maybe some of you have heard me talk about it, but it's just so amazing of how God will use those, even those that hesitate, to do amazing things for God. There was a lady in my church in Michigan. I remember it like it was yesterday of how she told me, she goes, Pastor, you don't understand. This was so out of my comfort zone. She goes, my neighbor has not been able to sell her house for a year. It's been on the market for a year and she wants to get rid of this house so badly, but it's not selling. And she said, you know what? I started praying and God told me he wanted to sell the house. And she said, I thought that was wonderful news. But then he said, I need to go and lay hands on this house. 
She said, Pastor, I've heard about laying hands on people, but not houses. And she said, for two weeks, I went back and forth with, I just can't do that. What if somebody sees me lay hands on that house? They're going to think I'm nuts. I said, for me, they already do, so what's the matter? But that we would willingly do that. So finally, after two weeks, she said, okay, God, if you say so, but I don't think she's home right now. So she got up, she went over to the house because she thought this was the perfect time. She starts praying, she lays her hands on the house, and wouldn't you know, her car was being worked on that day. She was home. (laughs) And she comes to the door and says, well, hello. Well, how are you? Why are you here? And Mary, Mary Lou looked at her and said, well, kind of embarrassed and said, well, you know, the Lord told me to lay hands on this house and pray for it. And she's like, okay. Uh, and she said it was one of the most gut-wrenching things that she did in her life. And she prayed. And the next day the house sold. The Lord said, I wanted to use you even though it sounded absolutely nuts. What does he want to do in your life right now that you're hesitating because it, you just can't wrap your mind around it because it doesn't make sense. For godly wisdom will use unlikely sources and unlikely places. For when Sesera was told that Barak, son of Abinam, had gone up to Mount Tabar, Sesera summoned from Herosheth Hagim to the Kishon River uh, all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. God made Sesra's strength of the chariots a weakness for him, and God led him to an area where they would be made useless, for it was the dry time of year, so he goes by the river. Otherwise, he wouldn't have. But God brings the rain. For when you, Lord, went out from Seir, when you marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. So God worked in mysterious ways. He still does today. And God used women to, to win the battle. He used Deborah and Jael to, to win what seemed an impossible battle, especially in their culture. In their culture, a woman winning a battle, they would have laughed at because that just was unheard of. And yet God will do amazing things with those that are willing to be used. In Judges chapter 4, verses 18 through 21, Jael went out to meet Sesera and said to him, Come, my Lord, come right in. Don't be afraid. She, he should have been. but So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone there, say no. But Jael, Herbert's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep, exhausted. She drove the the peg through his temple into the ground, and he died. 
This same account is done in poetry in Judges 5, 24 through 27. Most blessed of women be Jael, the wife of Heber the Kenite. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women, he asked for water and she gave him milk. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk. Her hand reached for the tent peg, her right hand for the workman's hammer. She struck Sesra, she crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. At her feet, he sank. He fell, there he lay, and at her feet, he sank. He fell, where he sank, there he fell dead. She willingly did what God had wanted her to do. I'm sure at the time, it probably didn't seem to make sense. And yet God used her in an, ama in an amazing way. And it's lastly understanding, as we even look throughout Scripture, that God will use the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. Throughout Scripture, we see this theme, for God's ways are not our ways. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, for the message of the cross is foolishness, to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Even though the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, we know as believers it is the power of God working in us. The world puts their trust in man, in stuff. Look at the weatherman. It's, to me, always fun to watch a weatherman, especially on a 10-day forecast. Oh, it's going to rain, and it, it, it might snow that day instead of rain. He frustrates them. I almost think he has a sense of humor. Oh, they say this, let's just change it just a little bit. And yet God, in his wisdom, sent Christ for us. What an awesome truth that we have. As we conclude this morning, we'll have the worship team uh, come forward. We have the opportunity to evaluate our own lives. In what wisdom are we trusting in? Is it godly wisdom or worldly wisdom? Warren Worsby had this to say. We either love Christ and walk in the light, or we are his enemy and perish in the darkness. What is God asking of us to do right now that doesn't make sense? And are we willing to say, I'm willing to push the doorbell of that house that needs milk?
Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your wisdom. It doesn't always make sense, but yet you said to trust you, to follow you. And Lord, help us to see in our lives where maybe we're holding on to worldly wisdom when we need to trust you and allow you to change us to be the men and women you want us to be. And we give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen.